0: This archived broadcast of Janet Mefford Today is brought to you by Bible League. Your gift of $35 will send seven Bibles to Christians in need, and your gift of $100 will send 20 Bibles. And right now, with a matching gift, your gift will be doubled. Call now, 800-YES-WORD, 800-YES-WORD, 800-YES-WORD. Or there's a banner to click at JanetMefford.com. Welcome, everybody. The Declaration of Independence famously states, We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And it's principles like those that our founders espoused that led our republic, as we know, into becoming the freest, greatest, and most prosperous nation on earth. Yet, as my next guest points out, a number of thinkers today dispute America's lineage and say that American principles are responsible for the moral and social disintegration of our nation. The reason? They say it's because our principles were based on the enlightenment falsehood of radical individual autonomy. But is that really true? We're going to find out today with my guest, Robert R. Riley. He was Senior Advisor for Information Strategy for the U.S. Secretary of Defense, directed the Voice of America, and served in the White House as a Special Assistant to President Reagan. He's now Director of the Westminster Institute and author of several great books, including his latest called America on Trial, A Defense of the Founding. And Mr. Riley, just wonderful To welcome you back. How are you?
1: Oh, it's a delight to be with you again. Thank you for having me.
0: Well, I love this book. I just couldn't put it down because I'm glad you're refuting some of these thinkers who are making these claims. Can you fill people in a little bit about this current debate?
1: Well, it's very interesting that uh, this view could gain so much traction as it has today. I'll just tell you a little anecdote about my oldest son who is now serving as an officer in the Marine Corps. Uh, In his last year, at a, in fact, he was, was at a Catholic university, the political science class professor was teaching a point of view on the American founding that it was morally contaminated wow. uh, and therefore led to the kind of moral disarray and degeneration that we experience today in terms of abortion, pornography, uh, same-sex so-called marriage, transgenderism, the list goes on. And it wasn't as if he offered this as one of a variety of views. This was the view he pushed. Hmm. So at the conclusion of his class, he had convinced the majority of the students, and one student asked a very acute question. He said, okay, you've convinced us. What are we supposed to do now?
0: Yeah.
1: My my son, of course, resisted this uh, not only because he disliked it, but because he knew himself that this was an incorrect teaching. But, what, as you know, what I try to do in my book is take it on in several ways, uh, directly refuting it, saying, let's see the evidence you found in the American founding and its documents and the statements of the founders themselves— that this radical individual autonomy was there, uh, and I, I parsed their statements. That is of the critics, and I used two principally as examples of the general arguments made in this way, and show that they uh, it, it simply isn't there. In fact, quite the opposite is. Right. Uh, And so I understand why people are driven to this point of view, because they need some explanation for how it is we have found ourselves in this morally degraded condition. Uh, But my point, as you know, is that this isn't because of the founding. It's in spite of it. Right. It is a rejection of the principles of the founding and our best, uh, Our best strategy today is not to reject the founding, but to return to its principles.
0: Exactly. But where are they getting this argument from when they're making this argument, for example, that, you know, the moral contamination goes back to our founding? How in the world do they even formulate that argument? I always thought it was pretty much understood that the founders had, you know, their roots in natural law and nature's God and an understanding of the Bible to an extent, even though we're not an explicitly Christian nation. How, How are they making this argument? What are they bringing up to try to underscore their point, which is obviously faulty?
1: Well, they make the, uh, the, the case by saying uh, that, of course, there was a radical enlightenment that did posit this radical autonomy of the individual, that did deny the existence of natural law, that did make uh, man's will primary, <clears throat> and... We, we could see the fruition of that, of course, in the French Revolution, which is why I dedicate a chapter of the book in comparing the French and American revolutions to illustrate so clearly uh, that the one was the obverse of the other. Yes. that They weren't the same revolution. They were antithetical to each other. They were. And, and some of the critics who say that we, were, that we, we had a, a poison pill from the beginning... Uh, try to make the case that really we are the same as the French Revolution. Uh, you know, that, the, that the, it just manifested itself a little later. So it's a kind of post hoc, ergo hoc uh, argument. Because this was a period of radical enlightenment, the American founding must be a product of it. And the other way they do it is say John Locke, who undoubtedly had a big influence on the American founding, was in fact simply Hobbes, with a smiley face. Hobbes, the writer, the author of The Leviathan, Hobbes, who uh, justified the absolute sovereignty of the state, the absolute power of the state. And, and that uh, Locke was just sort of a kinder version of Hobbes. Hmm. Uh, so I have to I spend a couple chapters in the book debunking that point of view uh, that, in, in fact, look at the type of <clears throat> political regime that would be constructed on the basis of Hobbes's principles, which is an absolute state, versus those that would be built upon um, Locke's principles, which would be a constitutional representative democracy.
0: Right, right.
1: So you've got... All of these anomalies on which this view is based—it's sort of like the founders didn't really know what they were doing. They were in the control of ideas over which they had no control, <laughs> or even you know, not they weren't of which they weren't fully cognizant. So they built worse than they knew. Um, and now you—I th- mean, were they stupid? Were they or were they rascals? <laughs> I mean, you have you have to come up with some rather strange suppositions about them. Yeah. Now, what they did is you quoted at the top of the show, uh, Janet, that they we hold these truths to be self-evident, not we hold these values or we hold these opinions, no, these truths right. Right. that are transcendent, that have their source in God and the laws of nature, which are immutable and therefore are true at all times everywhere for all people. And the American Revolution was based, explicitly on these transcendent truths. Yes. Now, what's happened um, in recent times is we see, even in Supreme Court decisions, opinions that are of the obverse of this, that um, deny it. Uh, particularly Justice Anthony Kennedy, in his arguments on uh, abortion and sodomy and same-sex marriage. He uses the term repeatedly. The autonomy of the individual, as if that term ex- was used anywhere in the American founding. Of <laughs> course, it wasn't. No. Um, so he sees the radical uh, this radical autonomy in the founding. <clears throat> At least he manufactures it <laughs> and uses it to overthrow uh, the state laws of the United States and. These certain Christian conservative critics say, yep, Kennedy's right in seeing it there, um, the difference is we don't like what it is, what it has produced and he does.
0: Yes, exactly. You And you mentioned that. You talk about people like Rod Dreher with the Benedict option, people like Russell Moore, and that's, that's a really important point because even if you're saying I'm against it, to see it in the way that the critics see it is to misunderstand the true lineage, as you point out in your book, of America's founding and what really the ideas were that really did fuel the founding of America. And I I think that's a really, really key point. We're going to go to a break, but we're going to talk more with Robert Riley about his book. It is called America on Trial, A Defense of the Founding. You're listening to Janet Effort today. We're going to come right back. Stay with us. Here's Dan Steiner, president of Preborn, with an important update. The global COVID-19 virus is having a terrible impact on the most vulnerable among us, the unborn. Sheltering in orders across the country are spiking the number of unplanned pregnancies, and the Preborn call center is inundated with girls calling us. Contrary to government mandates to stop elective surgeries, Planned Parenthood remains open, consuming scarce medical supplies, all the while aborting babies. Our clinics are offering free, Christ-centered alternatives to these women in this time of crisis, but our clinics need your help now more than ever. Preborn is the largest provider of free ultrasounds in the country and a direct competition to Planned Parenthood. Will you join Preborn in this time of need? Your gift of $28 will provide one free ultrasound. $140 will provide five free ultrasounds. To donate, just call 855-402-BABY. That's 855-402-2229. All gifts are tax deductible. That's 855-402-BABY. Or there's a banner to click at JanetMufford.com. From now through April, Janet Mefford Today is partnering with Bible League to send Bibles to persecuted Christians around the world. Can you help? Your gift of $35 will send seven Bibles to Christians in need, and your gift of $100 will send 20 Bibles. And right now, with a matching gift, your gift will be doubled. Call now, 800-YES-WORD. 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 Or there's a banner to click at JanetMefford.com. You're listening to Janet Mefford today. And now here's Janet. Welcome back. Great to have you with us and great to have with us Robert R. Riley. He is out with a wonderful new book. It's called America on Trial, A Defense of the Founding. We're talking about this mistaken idea that some of these critics have about the lineage of America. And you in this book do a really great job of telling the truth, I think, about the founding and and the ideas that led up to the founding. And you talk a little bit about Athens, Jerusalem and Rome. Can you talk a little bit about the essentials of those three cities that influenced our founding?
1: Yes, I think, as you know, the the main body of the book is tracing the true lineage of the Ameri- the found of the ideas that made the American founding possible. Right, without which it would would not have been conceivable. And they aren't ideas from the Radical Enlightenment. And uh, I simply point out the heritage of classical Greece uh, and the gift of philosophy the primacy of reason in the sense that the Greek philosophers discovered that our minds can apprehend reality, (laughs) uh, that we can know it, not simply have an opinion about it, and that in this examination, we discover an order in nature. And one naturally asks, well, what is the source of this this order? It's, It's a rational order our reason can know it, and I think it was Heraclitus was the first Greek philosopher who said there's got to be a divine intelligence behind this yeah. of which it is an expression and he used the word the Greek word logos to, to say what this intelligence was that's the Greek word for reason and uh, and we know. At, at, from uh, Jerusalem, what the great contribution was of monotheism, uh, that there's one God, not many, uh, this took place in a sea of polytheism, there was no other culture in the Middle East that, that, that proffered this idea that there's only one God. And unlike the polytheists, the Jews uh, said this one God has revealed himself as transcendent. Right and that he has made the world from nothing, and he has made it well that it's good.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, there's not a, uh, a demiurge of evil and one of good contending fighting over uh, creation, and that, which may lapse at any moment into primeval chaos. Don't know that you, God said, Yahweh said, what he's made is good. And we know from Genesis that most particularly the man he made is good because he made man in his own image and likeness. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And we, I think we could find in Genesis the foundation of Western civilization. Absolutely. You know, no one else would put it. You know, the idea that we're made in God's image and likeness is, is so startling, so revolutionary. Then, of course, Rome, what I you know, Christianity, uh, sort of married... Greek philosophy and Jewish monotheism, uh, and the startling revelation of Christ, who is sort of logos, comes walking through the door. (laughs) Right. Logos, about whom the Greeks had speculated, is incarnate and enters history and reveals himself as love and, and making a sacrifice for the salvation of man, and therefore. The mystery of man is revealed in the infinite love of God, making man even more precious as each individual person. This was the foundation of a new civilization. Mm -hmm. And we, as you know, in the book I spent a chapter on the Middle Ages showing how uh, these influences uh, created Christendom in which constitutional government first developed. And it developed first in the church through canon law and then sort of leached into the secular sphere in the early parliaments. This this is going to surprise many people who think the Middle Ages is part of the dark ages. When they see the articulation of the equality of all people uh, embraced and generally accepted that the people are sovereign. There's no th- such thing as the ap- the divine right of kings in the Middle Ages, an idea completely foreign to it. And because of equality and popular sovereignty, there's the requirement of consent. Wow. Mentioned by Thomas Aquinas and all the thinkers of the Middle Ages, since man is equal and since he's a rational creature, he must consent in his rule, even if he's ruled by a king. <laughs> Uh, there there has to be consent that the person be the king and in a covenantal relationship that makes the king subject to the agreement uh, through which he has become king. And if he breaks that agreement, goodbye King. Yeah. as Thomas Aquinas said, there's a right to revolution against tyrants. Yeah. but also this um, equality, sovereignty, Uh, included representation so that in the bodies that would decide these things affecting all, uh, representatives from the constituent parts could come empowered uh, to vote and make decisions. Uh, Even in church councils, it was the origin of the two-thirds rule that is adopted in so many legislatures. And this was just... uh, This was generally accepted in the Middle Ages, imperfect in practice, but there in principle. And one would think, well, this is just going to keep developing, and why didn't we have a continuous development from there to uh, the American founding itself? And I I, speak of what derailed those developments, and it was in the late Middle Ages. um, It's a little involved to get into in a short program, but William of Ockham and his denial of this primacy of reason, Um, and then Luther in the Reformation, who severs the connection between faith and reason, undermines the foundations of Christendom, and leads to, unintentionally on his part, I would say, but nonetheless leads to the deification of the state, Hmm. and the absolute state. There's no longer... The distinction between the secular and the sacred, the two swords, the, the distinct spheres, uh, that, that there, there was a dual... So- man was subject of two sovereigns, mm-hmm. the secular sovereign and the sacred sovereign, who was, the of course, the bishops and the popes. Now you only had one sovereign because the prince was also the head of the church, Right. And this led to absolutism, it, it developed into the divine right of kings. And in its secular uh, manifestation through Thomas Hobbes' The Leviathan, which was simply a secular, absolute state that had control of everything. Uh, and just to sum this up, the American founding was a reaction against that. Yes, yes. And a reconnection. A revivification with those medieval constitutional principles that I just articulated for you. I should mention just briefly that every one of those principles that I mentioned equality, uh, sovereignty of the people, requirement of consent, uh, the right to representation, and the right to revolution were all explicitly denied by Luther.
0: Mm, mm. Interesting. Uh, it, there's just so much here, which is why people have to read your book. So the, the bottom line then, as you talk about, is the question that needs to be answered is whether law is the product of reason, which is meaning that, you know, what is right flows from something objective versus the primacy of will. Is it law the product of will, which is that it flows from power? I mean, in some regard, that's really what we're up against right now in the moral and social disintegration of America. That That's kind of where the divide seems to be.
1: Let me give you an example of it. Barack Obama in his book The Audacity of Hope said this, quote, implicit in the Constitution's structure and the very idea of ordered liberty was a rejection of absolute truth. (laughs) The infallibility of any idea or ideology or theology or ism And any tyrannical consistency that might lock future generations into a single unalterable course, unquote. So in other words, the truth does not set you free. Uh, The truth enslaves you. Therefore, freedom today requires the rejection of objective truth, which is what Obama was saying there. It's a rejection of the American founding.
0: It is. Yeah. Good grief. Well, I mean, spoken like a Marxist, right? I mean, that's kind of the direction you're going. It's
1: it's spoken as a progressivist, as a man who thinks he's riding the wave of history, that uh, there are no immutable laws of nature, that everything is a product of its own time, and we can change things, and we can perfect man ourselves. We don't need You know, any man who can appear at Planned Parenthood Convention, uh, that organization being the principal provider of abortions in the United States today, and say to the assembled members, God bless you, has inverted uh, so many uh, moral truths that it's astonishing. Yes. Uh, Wow. And what we have to oppose that is the founding itself. Exactly. That That is the thing to which we can appeal. I mean, we, we of course, have our Christian faith and the truths, articulated there, but we know that that's not the way to win an argument in the public sphere. People will say, well, I don't, I'm not a Christian, or I'm not a Catholic, you know, so yeah. so go away. Yeah. But it's harder to tell the founding to go away, because this country would have to go away.
0: Exactly. Boy, you know, that's such a perfect point, and I, I think you've done such a brilliant job outlining your argument in detail. It Really, like I said at the outset, I couldn't put this book down. Again, the name of it is America on Trial, a Defense of the Founding. Terrific, Book by Robert R. Riley, who's been kind enough to join us again, and what an honor! Thank you so much, Mr. Riley, for being here.
1: It's so great to be with you. God bless you.
0: Thank you. You too. We'll Bye-bye. be back on Janet Meffer today. This archived broadcast of Janet Mefford Today is brought to you by Bible League. Your gift of $35 will send seven Bibles to Christians in need, and your gift of $100 will send 20 Bibles. And right now, with a matching gift, your gift will be doubled. Call now, 800-YES-WORD, 800-YES-WORD, 800-YES-WORD. Or there's a banner to click at JanetMefford.com. Welcome back. I don't know if you had a chance to watch that video of that mom in Idaho who was arrested by the police at a playground, but I had the chance to watch the entire video. It was a much longer video than the one that was running in snippets on social media. And if you're not aware of what happened, there was an Idaho mother by the name of Sarah Brady, age 40, who refused to leave a playground area that was closed because of the coronavirus pandemic. This ended up sparking a protest at Meridian, Idaho City Hall, according to a number of reports. And what happened was she was there, along with a number of other parents, to protest the stay-at-home orders. Fox says it this way. She was captured on video telling a police officer to arrest her as she participated in a smaller plan protest at the park with a group of people and her two children nearby. And she said to the police officer at one point, arrest me for being difficult. Do it, report it, record it. And so they did. <laughs> they gave her a count of five to leave. It was like a parenting moment. I'm going to count to five. Then you better leave and you better socially distance. What, what I find, just as an aside, incredibly ironically funny in a lot of these instances where you see the cops coming down on Christians or the cops coming down on parents like this, they're not socially distancing Now, I recognize that you can't arrest somebody from six feet away, but they're not wearing masks. So they're violating the order themselves. They're standing in the playground themselves. And granted, they're there because they're trying to deal with these scoff laws. But at the same time, you're looking at these people and saying, well, wait a minute, if I were at Walmart, it would be fine. If I were walking around Walmart and never made a purchase and I wasn't wearing a mask and I wasn't standing six feet from anybody, you'd have no problem with me. It's just the location that's a problem. And what's so ironic about it is you are much safer, it would seem to me, in a park outside at a distance from people in fresh air than you would be in an enclosed space like Walmart. Wouldn't you have more of a chance of catching something if you were in Walmart and touching the shelves and touching the shampoo and the toilet paper if there is any? You would think so. But they can't be there. Can't be there. And so you had all these people protesting in front of City Hall. Fox says the city of Meridian had closed its playgrounds last month to limit the spread of coronavirus, which was previously determined to live up to two to day, two to three days on plastics, which is what the slide is made of. Police said the metal signage and caution tape at the park was removed and they observed numerous individuals gathered on the closed playground area. Meridian officers, according to police in a statement, made several attempts to help Brady adhere to the rules. (laughs) We're trying to help you. We're here from the government and we're here to help. They say she was noncompliant and forced officers to place her under arrest to resolve the issue. She was arrested for trespassing. Officers informed those protesting at the park several times that the play structure was closed, adding they could use other areas of the park if they wanted to. But here's what was so weird about it. They were standing on the grass and they were commenting on the fact that they were standing on the grass. I didn't see any of their kids on the slide. They were using the other parts of the park, which they were apparently told by the police they could use. And as officers placed handcuffs on Brady, another woman was heard saying her kids are here. Her kids are here. What's going to happen? Who's got her kids? The Idaho Freedom Foundation said the park protest was planned and the group has an ongoing list of places they plan on demonstrating in protest against the state's stay at home order. The Sarah Brady was charged with one count of misdemeanor trespassing and was booked into the local jail. She's now been bailed out. It was interesting to me to see the numbers of people who were supporting Sarah as she was arrested and hauled off and they were yelling things about Nazis and and the Constitution has been violated and all the rest. But here's what's interesting to me, because I've read a number of pieces on this particular issue. And, for example, when you're talking about stay at home orders and emergency powers and these sorts of things that come up when you discuss whether or not a government has the right to keep you at home. And everybody talks about the emergency orders and you have certain powers if they're limited and you have a compelling interest, et cetera, et cetera. But last I checked, the whole issue of quarantine had to do with making sure infected people were taken out of the general public and kept at home or kept in some sort of enclosed space so they wouldn't infect anybody else. Now, I recognize that not everybody who has coronavirus knows they have it, and that's part of the problem, but that's also the grounds by which we could be oppressed for how long? Listen, I I want to be very clear on this. I have been supportive of going along with what the government has asked us us to do in these stay at home orders. I've been compliant. I haven't been doing anything I shouldn't be doing. My family has complied. I have no problem with that. But I also have a problem with being perpetually quarantined when I'm not sick. And my family's not sick. And I think that's what's really driving a lot of these protests. In addition to that, it's the fatality rates, the mortality rates of this virus, which are all up in the air, but they seem to be lower than were modeled. And it's also the bigger issue of whether or not our country can be continued to be shut down in perpetuity. How can you shut down an entire economy, an entire country of 330 million people Everything begins to fall after a while. Everything. Look at the stories of these hospitals. I was reading a story at CBS News the other day, and it was talking about how hospitals like the Mayo Clinic are having to give pay cuts to their doctors because there's not enough business. And you have a 30% drop at hospitals in things like ER traffic because people aren't coming in. And half of the business of a lot of these hospitals, according to the report, are elective. People coming in getting knee replacements or people coming in getting their tonsils out or something like, not that that's really elective, but you know what an elective surgery is. You have people coming in and getting tests. You know, my daughter needs to get tests right now and she can't get them because she can't go to the hospital. They're not allowing anybody who's not a COVID-19 patient to go to the hospital. And it's something that can wait. But it also hurts the hospital when the hospital's not getting all those patients. And we're all sitting here scratching our heads and saying, we were supposed to stay in place because we didn't want the coronavirus to spread. But now what happens if the hospitals go bust? If these projected millions of coronavirus patients actually do materialize, where are they going to go to get treatment if the hospitals go go bankrupt? Nobody's talking about that, but we have to. What about all these processing plants for meat that are closing down? What do you think the result of that will be? Eventually, you're not going to be able to get the meat that you want when you go to the local grocery store. You now have CNN talking about famines of biblical proportions are on the horizon and millions of people could die of starvation in different parts of the world, not in America necessarily, but other parts of the world. Well, of course, what do you think is going to happen when you shut everything down? You can't. That's the point. And now we're sort of at a tipping point. And you have states like Texas and Georgia and some others beginning to open up a little. They're getting a lot of criticism. But what I want to say to these people is this. Nobody wants anybody to die. That's not the point. But even though we have a flu vaccine, people still die of the flu People die of the flu by the thousands every single year, even some people who receive the vaccine. So just because you have a vaccine does not mean you've completely mitigated all of the risks from the flu. So what's the deal with that? And I'm not saying the flu and COVID-19 are identical viruses. Certainly they're not, but a lot of this isn't adding up for people. And a lot of people are getting really concerned about the toll this will take on us as a society long term. And I'll tell you what's really freaking me out is how more and more you're seeing on the left these instances where people just are fine with shutting us down for months and months and months and months. And I thought, isn't that a little premature when you don't even know how the numbers will be in a few months You know, the CDC director now, according to Red State, is laying the groundwork for perpetual lockdowns and social distancing and economic depression. What is that all about? Well, because you have some people in this country, we've talked about it on the show before, who don't like capitalism at all. It would not make them shed a tear at all if the country collapsed, because then they could make it up again in their own image. And it'll be a Marxist image. And you'll put together a Green New Deal and you'll make sure that everybody is engaging in technocratic practices and we make sure the experts are running everything and we are all bowing the knee to people like Dr. Fauci and a lot of Americans, I believe rightly so, are looking at this entire thing and saying, I'm not really sure I trust all of this. It's, it's a conundrum and it's not going to be easily solved. Wait till you hear what happened in Minneapolis due to this coronavirus, I'm going to tell you when we come back. You're listening to Janet Meffer today. Are you in need of a health care program? You're in luck. As a member of Liberty Health Share, you're part of a community that comes together to share their medical expenses. You can sign up throughout the year with memberships starting as early as the following month. And there are no contracts or commitments. Programs start as low as 199 dollars per month, and there's no network, so you can choose your own doctors and hospitals. Liberty Health Share is a nonprofit ministry, not insurance. So your money goes toward helping other members with their eligible medical expenses. And in your time of need, other members are there for you too. You can feel good knowing you're part of a community of like-minded individuals who understand the importance of people coming together to bear one another's burdens. Find out more by calling 855 560 Six five twenty five sixty one. That's eight five 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 six five twenty five sixty one. Or visit libertyhealthshare.org dot org slash jmt. That's libertyhealthshare.org dot slash jmt. If you could ease the suffering of a persecuted Christian right now, would you? Hi, it's Janet Mefford, and I know you would. Hebrews 13.3 urges us to remember those who are persecuted, noting that when the body of Christ anywhere suffers, we suffer together. These believers live where evangelism is criminalized, where churches are burned, and where Bibles are scarce. They need the hope found only in God's word, and your gift today lets them know they're not forgotten. For only $5, a believer like Anna in Africa will receive a Bible, be discipled in her new faith, and trained to share Christ. $35 sends seven Bibles, $100 sends 20. And through the end of April, there's a Bible for Bible match that will help us send God's word to as many persecuted Christians as possible. Become a Bible sender today by calling 800-YES-WORD. That's 800-YES-WORD. Or there's a banner to click at JanetMefford.com. Once again, call now 800-YES-WORD. We are back. Thanks for joining us. I'm talking a little bit about what's going on with some of these protesters across the country. And there was a poll that was reported over at the Hill. Most people are totally fine with the social distancing and locking everything down in perpetuity. I'm not sure if I believe that. I you know, here's what I think. Why in the world can't you open up a little bit? In Texas, they're gonna allow in a few days stores to sell clothing, for example, but you have to do pickup on the near the sidewalk. So they're gonna allow things like that. There's talk of having restaurants. But having distances between tables that are wider and you don't let people in who are sick, coughing, what have you. I mean, aren't there things in between total lockdown and total freedom? And and that's a discussion that needs to take place. Well, I wanted to tell you what the coronavirus has wrought in Minneapolis, Minnesota. And this just doesn't surprise me at all. This is from the Minneapolis Star Tribune. The Muslim call to prayer will be broadcast the traditional five times a day in the Cedar Riverside neighborhood of Minneapolis, beginning with the start of Ramadan this week. And it will continue through the end of the religious holiday in May. Isn't that going to be fun? So a month you get to hear... Five times a day. It will be the first time the call to prayer will be heard in Minnesota. Designed to encourage Muslims to maintain safe distancing during a holiday typically marked by community prayer. The arrangement was approved Tuesday by Minneapolis Mayor Jacob Fry working in collaboration with, guess who, CARE, the Council on American Islamic Relations, the unindicted co-conspirator in the Hamas funding trial, and the Dar al-Hijra Mosque. Isn't that going to be swell? So you can walk. No, wait, I shouldn't say that. I was going to say something silly. You'll be walking through your neighborhood. No, you will not be walking through your neighborhood. You will be locked down at home. But if you live close enough, you can hear the, the Muslim call to prayer five times a day. Isn't that swell? That's great. So you can pretend you're living someplace like Baghdad. Maybe you can just pretend that you're, you know, living in, in uh, Afghanistan, that's great. That's what we need in the United States. Kind of funny. Uh, don't radios work? Why? Why do you have to have a broadcast that is? put out there for everybody to have to listen to five times a day for an entire month. All it is, it's going to establish a tradition now. That's the thing. They're saying, oh, well, it's just because of social distancing. There are ways around that. Why don't you broadcast the Lord's Prayer five times a day? I would love to pray the Lord's Prayer with my fellow believers during a time of social distancing every day. Why don't you do that? Broadcast the Lord's Prayer, and then you can also broadcast hymns. You know, put out almighty Fortress is our God and holy, holy, holy and great is thy faithfulness. And we can have a hymn sing throughout the neighborhood in Minneapolis. Do you think the government would go for that? I mean, we're having to socially distance. We can't get together at churches. We're not allowed to be together as a congregation in our sanctuaries. So bring us together. What is the difference? Think about that for a moment. I want to play a little bit of this report from Fox 9 in Minneapolis so you can hear more about it. This is cut to.
2: The Muslim holiday of Ramadan starts at the end of this week. And like other spring holidays, this year's celebrations are going to look a little bit different. A mosque in Minneapolis has been given permission to broadcast the call to prayer during the month-long holiday. And Fox 9's Hannah Flood joining us live to talk about why this is so meaningful. Hannah? Hey, Kelsey. Well, I live across the street from a church, so I'm used to hearing church bells ring every hour on the hour. I think that's a sound that a lot of us are used to, but many of us have never heard the Muslim call to prayer before. But starting at the end of this week, people in the Cedar Riverside neighborhood will be hearing it five times a day.
1: Allahu Akbar, Allahu
2: Akbar. This is what a traditional Muslim call to prayer sounds like.
1: Allahu Akbar. Allahu Akbar. So basically it means um, God is the great, God is the greatest.
2: Five times a day during the month-long celebration of Ramadan, this call will be broadcast over a loudspeaker from the roof of Dar al Hijar Mosque in Minneapolis's Muslim-majority Cedar Riverside neighborhood.
1: So I think it's going to bring a lot of smiles from the youngest in this community to the, to the oldest.
0: Oh, a lot of smiles, especially when you're trying to get a good night's sleep and you're listening to that booming outside your window. No problem at all. We're psyched. It's just like church bells. It's just like church bells because, you know, so many churches have bells these days. So many churches have steeples, right? I can't vouch for how many church bells there are in the city of Minneapolis, but I can tell you I don't have any near me. You know, they're all mega churches or they're more modern churches and they don't have bells ringing from the steeple anymore. I mean, thats it's not a, an apt comparison, but you know, care is all for it. And and listen to how many people were interviewed who had a problem with it. Just keep an eye out here or an ear out here. This is cut three.
2: Jelani Hussein, the executive director of the Council on American Islamic Relations Minnesota, says this call will help many in the neighborhood feel together when they can't physically be together.
1: Particularly our seniors who have been isolated uh, uh, during this pandemic. And so whether you're Muslim or Jewish or Christian or you name it, uh, we want you to be able to practice your traditions and your religion. Uh, from a remote location
2: Minneapolis Mayor Jacob so Fry announced on Tuesday the city gave a noise permit to the mosque allowing them to broadcast that call to prayer
1: every religion has traditions that play themselves out in noise in some form and this is just yet another one
2: traditions that unite people in faith while they pray apart
1: people are gonna open their windows anticipate the call and really feel that tranquility and the connection
2: So Ramadan starts at the end of this week. It goes for about a month, and after that, those calls will stop. The first call, early in the morning, it goes out before sunrise, and the last call happens after sunset.
0: Now, keep in mind that churches have been told, if you want to worship, if you want to pray, if you want to have any sort of connection with your Christian brothers and sisters, you have to do it online. So why is it in Minneapolis that these people can't do it online? do the call to prayer online. We have to do it we're Christians. There are more Christians than Muslims in the United States. We were here first. It's our country. So why do we have to go online and we can't get together? But in the case of this particular neighborhood in Minneapolis, CARE gets to call the shots and everybody else just has to live with it. By the way, Robert Spencer from Jihad Watch had an article just a couple of weeks ago that the BBC broadcast the Islamic call to prayer for the first time as well. And it also was tied to the pandemic. This is is the adhan, the Islamic call to prayer. And I think he's really right when he said a cultural line has been crossed and the implications of this beyond the expected hosannas from the usual proponents of globalism and multiculturalism are ominous. He says... You know, this is all done in the name of inclusivity. But when the BBC broadcasts the Islamic call to prayer, what exactly is it broadcasting? And that's a question that's pertinent in Minneapolis. What are they really allowing to be broadcast across Minneapolis? What are you actually allowing them to say? Well, the Adhan prayed in Arabic goes like this. Allah is greater. That's Allah Akbar, Allahu Akbar. Four times you say that Allah is greater. Then they say, I testify that there is no God but Allah. You say that twice. Then you testify that Muhammad is Allah's prophet. You say that twice. Come to prayer. You say that twice. Come to security, salvation, intoned twice. Allah is greater, intoned twice. And then finally, there is no God but Allah, intoned once. Dr. Gavin Ashenden, former chaplain to the British Queen, who resigned his position in protest against a Quran reading in a Scottish church, observed that the Muslim call to prayer is a dramatic piece of Islamic triumphalism. It proclaims Islam superiority over all other religions and in so doing casts Jesus in the role of a charlatan and a liar. The Muslim God Allah is unknowable and has no son. Jesus was therefore a fraud in claiming that he and the father are one. When in fact, as we know, he and the father are one and Jesus is Lord. Is the BBC, the government funded broadcasting agency of an ostensibly Christian land, really wise to broadcast a declaration of the superiority of another faith? One that directs its adherents to make war against Christians and subjugate them as inferiors under the hegemony of believers? Is the BBC wise to broadcast the cry, Allahu Akbar, beloved of jihad terrorists the world over? Chief 9-11 hijacker Muhammad Atta wrote this in a letter to himself before carrying out his jihad. When the confrontation begins, strike like champions who do not want to go back to this world. Shout Allahu Akbar because this strikes fear in the hearts of the non-believers. This is why the Fort Hood jihad killer Nidal Malik Hassan shouted it as he shot 13 Americans in November 2009. And it's why so many other jihadis have used it essentially as an announcement that non-Muslims are about to die. But folks, you just need to understand multiculturalism. It's just like church bells. Because these anchors over at Fox 9 in Minneapolis told you it's just like church bells. You know, you just feel the tranquility. Did you like that? Feel the connection. Feel the tranquility and the connection. I don't want to feel the tranquility or the connection. And there's nothing tranquil about having to listen to that. Hearing that there is no God but Allah, Allah and Muhammad is his prophet, that's just fundamentally not true. And I don't want to have to listen to it. And I praise God I don't live in Minneapolis. But if I were a Christian living in Minneapolis, I would go to the mayor and say, fine, we want to broadcast the Lord's Prayer five times a day. Fair is fair, mayor. Come on. Feel the tranquility. Why not? Thank you so much for being with us. We got to go. We appreciate your tuning in as always. And we'll see you next time here on Janet Mafford today.